Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Rivian Third Quarter Fiscal 2021 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. As a reminder, today's program may be recorded. And now I'd like to introduce your host for today's program. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I am your host, and I'm very excited about this week's episode because we are going to dig into Rivion's very first earnings call. So super stoked about this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, having said that, let's go ahead and jump into our first clip, which will be from Rivion's CEO and co-founder, RJ Scringe. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us this afternoon for our first earnings call. As Derek mentioned, just before this call, we published our shareholder letter, which includes an overview of the progress we have made over the recent months. I would encourage you all to read it for additional details around some of the items we will cover on today's call. Before I dive into some of our recent milestones, I wanted to provide a quick overview of our business and mission for those who are new to Rivian. Our generation will have a profound impact on the planet and the world our kids, kids, kids will inherit. We can spend a lot of time on the specifics of climate change, but the reality is we, as society, are rapidly changing the composition of our atmosphere. If we want life as we know it to thrive, for many generations from now, we must change. This is what inspired me to start Rivian, and it's what drives the decisions we make as an organization, including the decision to become a public company. The challenge of shifting off fossil fuels is as big as it comes, and it's going to require people companies, and entire industries to come together in ways we never have before. From day one, our focus has always been to maximize impact, to keep the world adventurous forever. The word forever is a humbling word. It's very easy for us to think about the world in the context of our lives, but when you think about the world in the context of the many generations to come, it requires we not simply inspire people to buy our vehicles, we must inspire a shift in behavior and a new relationship with the world around us. The transportation industry is at the very start of a transformation bigger in scale than the shift from the horse to the automobile. The business model, value chain, customer model, and technology will be completely remapped as we redefine how we move people and goods on on our planet. 
Rivian exists to create products and services that help our planet transition to carbon neutral energy and transportation. Our business encompasses both the consumer and commercial markets. In the consumer space, we launched our, our R1 platform with our first vehicles, the R1T and R1S, our handshake with the world and our first step in building a relationship with our customers. Engineered for all of life's adventures, our vehicles uniquely combine performance, capability, utility, and efficiency. As of yesterday, we had 71,000 pre-orders for our R1 vehicles. In the commercial market, we are bringing to market the Rivian commercial van platform. Our first vehicle on this platform will be our 700 cubic foot electric delivery van, or EDV 700. We designed these vehicles working closely with Amazon, who has placed an initial order of 100,000 EDVs. Our commercial vehicles are designed with a focus on safety, comfort, and ease of operation. They offer a step change in driver experience while also delivering a lower total cost of ownership. Every commercial vehicle sold to Amazon is complemented by FleetOS, our proprietary end-to-end centralized fleet management platform with a recurring monthly subscription fee. The 700 cubic foot EDV has achieved a range of 201 miles based on internal testing using official EPA test procedures. We have successfully received our certifications to sell these vehicles, and we plan to deliver our first saleable vehicles to Amazon this month. Both our consumer and commercial products are supported by a full suite of value-added services that address the entire vehicle lifecycle and deepen our customer relationships. Starting with a clean sheet, we built a vertically integrated ecosystem comprised of our vehicle technology platform, cloud architecture, product development and operational capabilities, products and services. Our ecosystem is designed to deliver rapid development cycles, structural cost advantages, and exceptional customer experiences. After a 12-year journey of getting our strategy and offerings ready for customer deliveries, it has been incredibly rewarding to see the excitement and enthusiasm for what we're building. Over the past few weeks, we've received many recognitions and acknowledgments from editorial and news outlets, including Newsweek, Forbes, Electric, and Edmonds. To add to this list, earlier this week, the R1T was selected as Motor Trend's 2022 Truck of the Year after an exhaustive testing program. This award recognizes the truck that pushes boundaries across all aspects, including safety, efficiency, value, advancement in design, engineering excellence, and performance. We are honored by this recognition and the opportunity to illustrate how a clean sheet, technology-focused vehicle could eliminate long-accepted compromise. After years of meticulous attention to detail, it was rewarding to hear Motor Trend state that this may have been the most significant recognition that they have given since the start of the award in 1949. Additionally, earlier this year, we completed a world first, a historic all-electric crossing of the U.S. and R1T on the Transamerica Trail. From a production perspective, I wanted to highlight a significant milestone for our team, the production and delivery of our first vehicles. As the first saleable R1T drove off the production line in September, I was joined by my family and thousands of colleagues to celebrate this exciting and emotional moment for for our organization. And earlier this week, Claire and I purchased the first two saleable R1S vehicles. We're at a steep part of our climb, but I couldn't be more grateful to be alongside such a dedicated and passionate team who have poured their energy and soul into bringing these vehicles to life. I'll stop on this point for a second and speak to our manufacturing progress. Launching and ramping production of three different vehicles within a few months is an incredibly tough challenge. 
This production ramp requires the simultaneous ramp of our supply chain, hiring and training of our production workforce, equipment bring up, and rapid iteration through production quality loops. <clears throat> These challenges have been exacerbated given the state of our global supply chain, tight labor market, and of course the complications from COVID. As of yesterday, we have produced 652 R1 vehicles and delivered 386 of these, including the production sale of our first two recently certified R1S vehicles earlier this week. With 13 working days left at our normal facility, our dedicated teams are working as hard as possible to get as many customers or vehicles by year end. For 2021, we expect to produce a few hundred vehicles short of our initial 1,200 vehicle production target. Following the start of production for the R1T, we made the decision to begin introducing the R1S into the R1 production line. Ultimately ramping up the R1S in November, while also ramping production of the R1T was more challenging than expected. We produced enough R1Ss to support validation and certification, which are critical for our R1S production ramp in early 2022. Given the importance of R1S, this was a strategic approach that we felt optimized long-term value for the business. We are encouraged by the progress and learnings our team continues to incorporate into our operations, and we have achieved our primary objective of certifying the R1T, R1S, and EDB 700 for sale this year. In early 2022, we plan to complete certification of the EDB 500, which is both narrower and shorter than the 700. Our production ramp of the R1T, R1S, EDB 700, and EDB 500 will continue into next year, and we remain confident in our long-term manufacturing trajectory. Just as we are scaling our manufacturing facility, <clears throat> hundreds of our suppliers are also scaling their production to match our vehicle ramp rate. Our procurement team has remained nimble and continues to work with our supplier partners across all tiers to mitigate issues stemming from our supply chain, the labor market, and the COVID pandemic. Given the uncertainty within the supply chain, we've decided to carry higher inventory levels than previously assumed to help ensure we consistently have parts to build. The good news is we do not believe any of our supply chain challenges represent long-term systemic issues. While our product development and manufacturing teams have been focused on ramping our normal production facility, our real estate and facilities team have been working diligently to ensure we remain well positioned to capture and drive the accelerated large-scale adoption of sustainable transportation. We are excited to announce today our partnership with the state of Georgia, which will be the home of our second U.S. manufacturing facility. The site selection was the culmination of a comprehensive process in which the Rivian team evaluated a variety of sites across the country, looking for the right combination of site location and logistics, access to talent, and proximity to suppliers. This project represents the largest economic development deal in Georgia's history. The facility will be east of Atlanta in Morgan and Walton counties and will employ more than 7,500 employees at peak production. From a construction perspective, we plan to break ground this coming summer with the intention of having facilities start producing saleable vehicles by 2024. The facility will produce our next generation of Rivian vehicles with an eventual target capacity of 400,000 annual units. I want to thank the entire state of Georgia. We're excited to make Georgia another home for us. The last major milestone I want to, wanted to highlight was the completion of our initial public offering in November, in which we raised $13.7 billion of gross proceeds. We are extremely appreciative of the excitement and receptivity that our existing and new shareholders have shown. 
These funds enable us to execute on our near-term objectives, including the growth of our manufacturing capabilities, further investment into our vertically integrated technologies, and continued infrastructure and capabilities to support customer experience and engagement. As part of our IPO, we established Forever by Rivian to extend the, our impact beyond the products we make and the associated competition they hopefully inspire. Forever's mission is dedicated to addressing our planet's climate crisis and preserving the critical biodiversity needed for our planet's long-term survival. With this, we donated 1% of Rivian's pre-IPO outstanding equity to Forever, making the natural world a stakeholder in our success. Forever will be focused on land conservation, sustainable consumption initiatives, preserving biodiversity, and research and educational stewardship. The value of Forever's equity is nearly $1 billion today, and I'm excited by the impact this donation can have in preserving the planet for future generations. All right. First up, I, I really applaud their charity efforts. I think that's super cool. Next, though, RJ was very, everybody on this earnings call was very measured and on message which is nothing like the seat of your pants conversation that you get when Elon's on an earnings call, for instance. But it doesn't mean we're not going to get good information out of this. So let's jump to the Rivian delivery van. First, I'm shocked that they're going to be able to deliver this vehicle this month to Amazon. As I record this, it's December 24th. And that means they only have one more week to deliver these vehicles if they haven't already. So that that's awesome. That's amazing. Congratulations to Rivian. I'm also really curious about this fleet OS. I want to know more about it. So I'm going to have to do some research on that. And then I want to know, is there a version of this that exists for the R1 platform? Because despite Rivian really marketing this pickup truck, and I guess the SUV as being more of the adventure pickup truck and SUV, I still know a lot of people who would like an electric vehicle, but they want an electric vehicle that can also double as a work truck. And I'm sure there's businesses out there that operate fleets that would like the benefits of owning an electric vehicle like the R1T or even possibly the R1S, which is the SUV, but still managing the fleet through this fleet software that Rivian has. So very interesting stuff. I think that's super cool. Before we go to the next clip, I just want to let you know that I left a lot of this background information in this particular episode, because if you've been listening to this show for any length of time, I talk about Rivian often, so you should probably have a good idea of who the company is. But in terms of hearing about Rivian from people inside the company, that's not something we've heard a lot of, so I wanted to include that exposition so we're all brought up to speed, including myself, on what the company's values are and what direction they're heading in the future. All right, now that that's said, let's go ahead and hear about customer engagement milestones. We continue to observe strong affinity for our brand as evidenced by the acceleration we have seen in our backlog of pre-orders. At Rivian, a pre-order reflects a refundable $1,000 deposit and a configured vehicle including everything from paint and interior color to our accessories. As of end of our third quarter, we had approximately 48,000 R1 pre-orders from customers across the United States and Canada. Since then, we have added another 23,000 net pre-orders, taking our backlog as of yesterday to 71,000. Before I jump into a few additional customer experience milestones, I wanted to spend a few minutes walking through our go-to-market strategy. The Rivian go-to-market strategy is rooted in three foundational principles all designed to efficiently solve existing customer pain points. First, we go direct to the customer. 
By doing that, we are able to ensure the quality of each interaction. Second, we are digital first, which means we have invested heavily in the robust cloud-based digital backbone that enables and enhances each interaction. We expect this will provide deep learnings, immersive experiences, and scalability as we grow. As an example, our intuitive digital purchase process replaces what otherwise requires several hours at a dealership with a self-paced, stress-free experience you can manage in minutes from your couch. And third, we maintain end-to-end -end control of the entire customer journey. This means every interaction is stitched together into one seamless experience through a set of vertically integrated digital and physical capabilities. These three foundational principles allow us to put the customer at the center of each touch point. Over the past few months, years of hard work, concepts, and design have been put into action. You will find further details in our shareholder letter, but I will touch on a few. In September, we kicked off our first mile program. This program provides a variety of ways for consumers to experience the Rivian vehicle, including at-home demo drives and event-based experiences and drives. Since launch, we have hosted over 10,000 guests in our vehicles and have held drives in a handful of locations, including New York, Normal, Seattle, and California. Additionally, as we started to sell vehicles in September, our delivery team began to ramp up. As one of many interactions we have with our customers, we put a tremendous amount of thought into our delivery experience. Deliveries happen primarily at our customers' homes so that they can experience the moment comfortably with family, friends, and their whole community if they so choose. During these deliveries, a dedicated field specialist is there to walk the customer through everything they need to know about their vehicle and tailor the delivery experience to the consumer and their family. As we moved into October, we opened our first Rivian hub in Venice, California. If you're unfamiliar with our Rivian spaces, they are places for our customers, fans, and the local community to come together, connect, and share ideas. Our spaces portfolio will consist of hubs like our location in Venice, seasonal spaces, which will be temporary in targeted locations, outposts in more adventurous locations, and lastly, large tracts of protected land that are accessible to customers. On the service side, we are prioritizing the rollout of our service centers, targeting the highest concentrations of pre-order customers. The service centers are complemented by a fleet of mobile service vans, which will perform the vast majority of service staff at our customers' homes while expanding the service coverage area. Our delivery cadence is synchronized with the service infrastructure to ensure a worry-free and highly responsive service support experience. Our 24-7 service support and predictive diagnostic capabilities will further enhance the service model. All right. I don't have anything really more to add to that. Um, again, it's just information. I really think that Rivian is a strong and well-managed company, and it shows through through the people that they had present today. And continuing with that strong presence, we're going to go ahead and listen to uh, Nicola. <laughs> we're going to go and listen to Rivian's financials here. I'll start with a review of our third quarter results. In September, we delivered our first 11 R1Ts to customers, generating $1 million in revenue. As RJ mentioned, given that we just started production in September, the third quarter volumes on our manufacturing lines are a small fraction of our expected long-term production capacity. 
in the near term, we expect that this dynamic of high fixed costs associated with operating and running our large-scale, highly vertically integrated plant amortized over a small but growing number of vehicles produced across the R1 and RCD platforms will continue to have a negative drag on gross profit. As a result, in the third quarter, we generated a negative gross profit of $82 million. Additionally, we recorded a lower cost or net realizable value, LCNRV adjustment, to write down the value of certain inventory to the amount we anticipate receiving upon vehicle sale after considering future costs necessary to ready the vehicle for sale. This expense negatively impacts gross profit in the third quarter, and we expect it to also impact upcoming quarters in the near future. For example, in the fourth quarter, we've continued to build up our inventory balance to help mitigate the supply chain challenges we've experienced to date. We immediately record the LCNRV adjustment which adds to the concentration of fixed costs we recognize as part of our cost of goods sold. As a result of these accounting dynamics, the marginal vehicle we produce in Q4 will have a limited impact on our cost of goods sold. And given the inflationary market backdrop, we also continue to evaluate the pricing for our vehicles. Turning to our operating expenses. Research and development expense for the quarter was $441 million as compared to $220 million in the third quarter of 2020. The higher expense was due to increased efforts related to our R1 consumer vehicle program, as well as our EDV commercial van program. We also experienced increased expenses related to other advanced product development activities that are critical for our future products. SG&A expense for the third quarter of 2021 was $253 million, as compared to $68 million for the third quarter of 2020. The primary drivers of this increase are related to scaling our sales and service operations, commercial office locations, customer-facing facilities, and corporate functions to support future business growth. During the third quarter, we recognized a $458 million non-operating expense related to the loss in our convertible note. This was the result of the issuance and subsequent mark-to-market valuation of our 2021 convertible note. This was a non-cash expense. Our capital expenditures for the third quarter were $469 million, driven by our continued strategic investments in infrastructure. It was primarily due to the expansion of our normal factory, as well as investments in corporate facilities, service operations, and experience spaces. Now turning to our cash balance, we ended September with $5.2 billion of cash on our balance sheet. Since then, we've completed our IPO, raising $13.5 billion of net proceeds, and also raised $1.2 billion of net funds through senior secured notes. Adjusting our cash balance for these two fundraising events, we would have ended the third quarter with approximately $20 billion of cash on the balance sheet. As RJ highlighted, there's a tremendous opportunity in front of us to help drive the future of the $9 trillion transportation and services market. However, building out our organization and infrastructure to support our growth requires significant investment. The funds we have raised throughout 2021 offer us the opportunity to execute on our near-term objectives. However, we will continue to look for opportunities to pull forward investments to further accelerate our strategy. As we look a few weeks ahead, we remain focused on ramping our R1 production and deliveries. In addition, with the finalization of our EDV certification, 
we expect to start making deliveries of the EDV 700 to Amazon before the year end. We plan to provide full year 2022 guidance during our fourth quarter and fiscal year 2021 earnings call. Okay, I have nothing to comment uh, for financial stuff because I'm a big dum-dum and there's a lot of things that I don't understand about business finances. So um, we're just going to skip over that. I hope you enjoyed it if you're a Rivian investor or thinking about becoming a Rivian investor. That's why I leave it in there for the investors. Next up, we're going to hear the analyst questions. I did not include every analyst uh, question in this uh, show because honestly, some of them were not at all interesting, not even remotely interesting. Some of them were quite boring. So I only included the ones that I thought would provide some benefit to you. Now, having said that, I do love hearing the announcer's voice, which you heard at the beginning of my program. To me, it sounds like a radio DJ mixed with like some super enthusiastic person that you don't always like spending your time with. (laughs) So having said that, let's go and listen to the first question. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Rob Latch from Wolf Research. Your question, please. Hi, everybody. Um, Congrats on um, what you accomplished in the response to the first product. Um, I I was wanted to ask you a little bit more about production. First of all, obviously a lot's coming together. Um, where are the biggest bottlenecks at this point in, in the ramp? Uh, and where are you focusing operationally? Can you give us some sense of where your daily production rate is now and, and what you expect to exit the year at? Ramping something like this is, is really, it's almost like an orchestra. We have, you know, we have to simultaneously be ramping the supply chain, simultaneously training the workforce, uh, simultaneously working through any any equipment issues and equipment bring up, uh, and then of course working through quality loops, as as we said uh, or as I said to Adam, just given the importance of making sure what we're delivering to customers is is truly achieving the quality levels that that we're committed to. So as as we look at that, each of those represents its own set of challenges, and really the what makes this situation and, and this time frame such a unique time to launch is is just the supply chain constraints and supply chain challenges and. Um, what what's um, what makes it uh, challenging in, in the case of a vehicle is even uh, you know even if you have 99.9 percent of the components in the, in the vehicle ramping so of the roughly 2,000 parts that that come in and go into a vehicle uh, if if 99.9 percent of those have ramped at the same rate of the rest of the production the small number of suppliers or some small number of components that may be ramping a little slower can create constraints or bottlenecks. And so we've had to respond to that. We've been very focused on making sure we not only are effectively ramping what's in our plant, but also effectively ramping across all of our suppliers. Now, with that said, um, those challenges have been really a focal point for us over the last two and a half, three months. Uh, and as, as you heard, we, we don't see any long-term systemic challenges associated with ramping the supply chain. Uh, a number of these issues are, are short-term in, in nature and, and they're solvable problems. Uh, as we look inside our facility and the things that we you know, directly control in terms of ramping our equipment and, and working through those quality loops, one of, the, um, one of the areas that's been a constraint for us thus far has been building our battery modules. And you know, in the case of, of the vehicles we're producing today, each battery pack has nine battery modules in it. Each battery module uh, has 864 2170 cylindrical cells. And the process on of, of assembling uh, the modules and those modules into packs 
uh, is, you know, it takes quite a bit of, um, quite a bit of assembly work and it's a highly automated process. And what we've done uh, to ensure this isn't a long-term risk is we actually have three separate lines uh, that have been brought up. So uh, what we call essentially like a development line that's been running for, for a number of years now. Uh, we then have uh, a larger scale line, a, a fully automated line that's producing a vast majority of what we've, what we've put into the road thus far. And then we have what we call uh, line two uh, with the you know, line, line zero, line one, and line two, which is coming up as we speak. And that this last line is significantly higher volume. And we fortunately took the decision uh, early last year to commission this line, recognizing we, we didn't want to have battery modules as a long-term constraint. And we see this, uh, while this has been a constraint to this point, we do not see this as a long-term constraint, given that we've added so much capacity uh, over, the last, um, you know, over the last couple of months. Thanks for that. And um, just also related to production, um, as your backlog grows, you're going to get to a point where people won't get delivery until 2024. Um, it's a great problem to have. Um, Claire mentioned that you're looking at opportunities to accelerate your strategy. Are, are there things that you can do to maybe accelerate the ramp uh, that you had originally envisioned for the, for the R1 platform, just given the response to the, the product? Um, or are you, I, I think Claire alluded to inflation and looking at pricing, are you looking at opportunities to adjust pricing just based on what the demand is for the, for the product? In, with regards to production, we're certainly looking uh, at how we can accelerate the, the ramp given the, the really strong demand that we have for the products. Uh, one of the things that, that we've built into the way we've designed not only the plant but also the organization is we've we've made sure that as we as we set things up, we're capable of of exercising the discipline uh, to ramp two lines in parallel. So we have our, our R1 line and we also have our commercial vehicle line. And not only are those separate uh, separate assembly lines, but those are also separate teams that are working on those activities. And what that allows us to do is to be really intentional around how we deploy resources. And that uh, that ability to be very intentional also allows us to look at uh, increases in capacity. That uh, the plan has been for the plant here in Normal to to grow capacity from 150,000 units between those two lines to 200,000 units, and it's part of the long-term plan for the plant. And we're looking at how we can accelerate that capacity increase, uh, leveraging uh, the discipline teams that we've built. Uh, with regards to pricing, and certainly the backdrop of, of inflation that we're seeing and the very strong demand for products, not just within our product set, but I'd say broadly within the electrified space, uh, you know, has caused us to look at our pricing. And really, I, I'd say recognizing the set of product features that we've been able to put together uh, into the vehicles. And the vehicles are incredibly, uh, you, you've had a chance to drive them. They're incredibly fun to drive, very capable, over 800 horsepower, 0 to 60 in three seconds, great on-road, great off-road, uh, but also a great everyday vehicle. So in terms of the competitive set, we recognize they're very aggressively priced. Uh, so that is something that we've uh, certainly considered and talked about quite a bit uh, as a management team. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Throughout this earnings call, RJ is really optimistic about the supply chain and what Rivian has done to kind of minimize those effects. And honestly, I really hope um, that his optimism isn't met with <laughs> with tragedy. Um, Rivian does have an advantage in that they're ramping up production. So they're not anywhere close to what volume production would look like for a big company like Ford and even Tesla, who doesn't do quite as many vehicles as Ford does. So that they, they can have these supply chain issues, but not really affect them like in big numbers, maybe in percentage wise, it would affect them, but it's not going to be huge numbers because they're, you know, you're talking about 10 or 20,000 cars a quarter at best, right? They've only shipped a few hundred to this point. So when you're dealing with numbers that small, even if they ship 10,000, when you're dealing with numbers that small, the supply chain issues really aren't hitting you as hard as they would hit a company like Tesla or Ford or Chevy or whoever. So that's, you know, still, I hope, I hope whatever they've done to plan for this is, is going to work out for them. And I thought RJ did a pretty good job with his answer overall. All right. Our next question is about proprietary battery designs and whether or not Rivian will be doing that in the future. So let's listen in. Lastly, on me is a question on, I guess, battery sourcing strategy. You know, how would you describe the relationship with Samsung? At what point does it make sense to uh, have a maybe uh, more custom-designed battery pack or maybe to in-source or partner with a battery company to uh, vertically integrate manufacturing of the pack? Is there a, I don't know, unit volume threshold or maybe a date in mind by which you would like to bring batteries in-house? How are you thinking about that? Yeah, Ryan, this is a great question. In fact, I think it's probably one of the most important questions in the context of electrification. And, and really, it stems from the, the sheer scale of, of increase that we're going to need to see as an industry uh, to produce all the batteries necessary to electrify 
you know, 90 to 100 million vehicles a year, and eventually in the aggregate, um, you know, around one and a half billion cars on the planet. So as we've uh, thought about this, we've developed a strategy that really has three, what I would call parallel approaches, and and truly parallel, meaning these are not mutually exclusive. And in the first first category, or first first element of that is is sourcing an existing cell, and that's what we've done with Samsung SDI for for our launch vehicles. Uh, and it's a cylindrical 2170 cell, high nickel content cell, and we've sourced that from existing capacity, capacity that already existed in the world. Uh, that type of deal we see is really being, uh, we don't see a lot more deals like that happening across the industry. Essentially, as the demand for cells starts to climb, uh, we, we need to be building new capacity. And what we see is the second category or second approach, uh, again, happening in parallel, is the need to create uh, capacity or co-investing capacity with cell suppliers. And we're certainly doing that. We haven't announced any of those relationships yet. But for us to continue scaling out you know, 2023 and beyond, that co-investment in capacity is going to be critical for us. And then really the last uh, parallel path, last, last arm of the strategy for us, is taking an even more vertically integrated approach where we completely control the design of the cell and the sourcing of the raw materials that go into the cell. And that third approach is, is core to our strategy. We've, we've been working on that uh, for quite some time. And in fact, we'll be producing uh, cells in pilot form starting late next year. And that, that vertical integration of, of the cell doesn't mean the first two categories don't remain super important. Uh, it just simply is, um, is in response to our intended growth. And, and when one looks at the amount of cells we'll need as a company, all three of those approaches, meaning sourced capacity that was already existing in the world, newly created capacity that we co-invest in with our supplier partners, and newly created capacity that we uh, entirely invest in and control, uh, all three of those pathways are going to be critical for us as we start to look out in the sec- into the second half of the 2020s and, and scaling as a business. All right. My response to this is going to be very layman-based because I'm not in this business and there's a lot that I don't understand about it, but uh, this makes total sense to me. Like if you're a new business, why would you go out and spend a ton of money and time on developing your own proprietary cells and withhold releasing your, your vehicle, your electric vehicle, because you're developing these cells and it's not quite done yet. It makes more sense to get the vehicles out there and, you know, create happy customers. So use those existing cells, like from Samsung, for instance, and then you build a factory that creates capacity. So now you have a bunch of, you know, cells like the 2170 cells that already exist and you're building them and all of those cells belong to you because that's your capacity. You're not sharing that with anybody else. And then as you're doing this, you've developed a integrated cell that's proprietary to you and your company and what you need. So when you're ready to put that cell into production, you already have the capacity there. All you have to do is change everything over so that you can start creating your new cell. That makes a lot of sense to me. Our next question is about production ramp. So let's listen in. Thank you. Our next question comes to the line of Brian Johnson from Barclays. Your question, please. Uh, yes, thank you. I just want to drill a little bit more down on the production ramp. <clears throat> you know, if you kind of think through, you mentioned the word constraints, which, of course, brings to mind the classic theory of constraints. You know, could you maybe describe in a little bit more detail where you think the key constraint is now? You did mention perhaps the welding of the battery packs. And how do investors get confidence that that, 
you know, the constraints can be knocked off versus their worst case, something fundamental about the design of the vehicle or the battery packs that would complicate any ramp. In ramping up a production system like this, it's, it is, as I said before, a really complex orchestra. So you have uh, you know, hundreds of suppliers providing thousands of parts, uh, you know, thousands of robots within the production facility, uh, you know, operating to prescribed movements, and then thousands of team members uh, assembling and, and working uh, to put the vehicles together. So as we go through that process, we, we, uh, we have multiple meetings throughout every day tracking how we're managing all those different constraints and as, as the lines, uh, each aspect of the plant, whether it's stamping or body shop or paint shop or battery assembly or drive unit assembly or general assembly of, of the full vehicle, whether there's any constraints within those and, and how we continue to progress the, the hourly and daily output. And with that said, we're, we're ramping uh, largely as expected. Uh, the, the battery constraint is really an artifact of, of just bringing up a highly automated line. And as I said, that, that doesn't represent any long-term challenges for us. We have a second line that's coming on that will uh, put the battery uh, module production way out in front in terms of capacity of, of the other areas of the plant. Um, so as we, as we work through these quality loops, and as we work through employee, you know, training our, our workforce, this is this is part of the challenge, and it, I, I'd say uh, we just need to recognize that the plant is is designed to run at significantly higher output, and and what we're seeing today in terms of output just just represents uh, the front end of an S curve, uh, which is which is typical for this type of a, a ramp up. And just to follow up, you know, anything in terms of having to go back to the drawing board and either the configuration of the pack, particular parts, or things that would be longer cycle fixes as opposed to just ironing out the kinks and attacking bottlenecks on a daily basis that come up? No, we, we don't uh, see any long-term systemic uh, challenges with either the, either the supply chain or with the way that the vehicle has been designed or the manufacturing plant has been designed. Again, RJ is very optimistic here. Um, he doesn't think that there's going to be any significant issues with you know the supply chain how production's going, all that stuff. So, that, I mean, that's either really good news or really terrifying news because he's not projecting for something. But again, I go back to this is a really well-run company. They make, so far anyway, at least you know publicly, they've made really good decisions. So I hope, I really hope this all comes true. And maybe, you know, Tesla had a lot of its issues because of Elon's hubris, which he has talked about in the past. Um, and maybe, you know, uh, Rivian is taking a more traditional and safer approach to production. And you know what, there's something to be said, uh, for that being a, a good idea for sure, but I just can't get over, um, either he's not bringing these problems to light or, and I'm not saying he's hiding anything or things are really going well for Rivian on the production side. And I hope that the, the latter part of that is the, the case. All right, the next question is more about some supply chain issues that Rivian might be having, and here we get a more in-depth answer to all of the the skepticism that I have brought forth on this program. I've tried to be very positive, and hopefully that's come through, but I'm very skeptical that all these things are actually working out as well as they're saying they are. But let's go ahead and listen to that. 
that's helpful. Uh, and for my second question, I was hoping you could comment on the supply environment in terms of uh, semiconductors and other components. You know, it's been tight for a long, a long while now, and uh, a few auto companies have started to see a little bit of easing uh, as we move through the fourth quarter, reopening some some previously closed factories. Uh, at the same time, you now unfortunately have the Omicron variant uh, that could perhaps complicate things. So, I was hoping you could be a bit more specific on any changes uh, that the company may be seeing um, in its uh, supply chain environment. Thank you. Yeah, the supply chain environment has been incredibly challenging. You know, it's, it's unprecedented in the number of um, issues that we've seen as an industry across a variety of different commodities and, and uh, components. Certainly, semiconductors is one of those, and, and we're very, very focused on that. It's, it's uh, you know, a week doesn't go by where I'm not speaking to heads of some of our major uh, semiconductor suppliers. Uh, with that said, we've I'd say the, the element of this, it's, it's really worked in a positive way. Is we've taken a very transparent approach with our suppliers to both communicate to them our ramp and, and to be very clear in expectations. And uh, in return, we also have a, a clear picture of what their ability to supply is and how that translates to our ramp. And we're managing that very thoughtfully. Uh, and that's, you know, semiconductor certainly gets the most attention, but I'd say that's true across the rest of the supply chain. And, and in a lot of cases, the areas where the constraints have been challenging for us uh, over the last uh, three plus months have been in areas that, that might not be expected. You know, these are, you know, smaller suppliers that have been unable to hire a second shift or smaller suppliers that are having, um, having issues with COVID. So we're seeing a lot of those types of challenges and in, in bringing up, uh, you know, our, our supply base of several hundred suppliers. We've got uh, a team that's very hands-on with all these different suppliers, you know, working with them closely in many cases, working with them in their production facilities uh, so we have both very good visibility, and we're also working very collaboratively to make sure that they achieve the ramp. All right. I don't have anything else to add to this, so I will go ahead and move on to the next question. Our next question comes from the line of Emmanuel Rosner from Deutsche Bank. Your question, please. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, my first question is around um, software and subscription. Um, on what timeline would you expect to start uh, essentially seeing some of these revenues, both on the uh, commercial side with Amazon, uh, is that going to be from day one, and then on the consumer side, and then any sort of like initial views on the, on the consumer side in terms of uh, take rates or sort of like average um, uh, subscription revenue per, per vehicle? Yeah, hi, Manuel. So um, two, two parts to that. So on the commercial side, uh, you know, just to confirm, the fleet OS, uh, sort of goes live uh, at launch. In other words, as we start deliveries to Amazon um, this month, um, each vehicle comes with a recurring monthly subscription of Fleet OS. Um, and the, and the um, set of features that are included, we consider them as our V1 uh, of, of a feature set. And as these vehicles are deployed and operational, we expect to um, grow this uh, feature set by creating more value on the TCO level for Amazon. So, so that um, uh, software subscription goes live basically now on, on commercial side. On the consumer side, um, the software side or the services side of our business has uh, different flavors. Um, the, the primary flavor is membership, which every vehicle owner today uh, gets a complimentary um, membership for a year. And our goal is that um, at the end of that period, uh, we would actually start charging our customers a monthly fee, um, and that would represent, again, a basket of features 
which will include uh, but not be limited to charging, roadside, uh, and connectivity. There will be other um, elements uh, into that membership offering that we are working on and curating and designing it um, you know, diligently. Uh, and you will use this time, this free, this time where the members get this free membership to build that basket. Uh, apart from that, there are other flavors um, of uh, software subscription, which could be on an individual software basis um, or other bundles that we will put together. Uh, we expect to, to work on those and announce those uh, in the coming months. Um, but yeah, it's, it's early for us as we've just started doing deliveries, which comes with a free membership period. The only other point that I would just add on that from the services perspective is we have seen strong uptake in regards to our insurance and financing as well for the vehicles. Uh, given the really seamless experience, you can go through our transaction to delivery process in a matter of, of minutes. I've gone through it twice myself uh, in literally less than 10 minutes. And so the, the ease of use and simplification of that process has, has really shown through uh, from a take rate perspective, especially on those you know, two leading edge uh, features that are, are part of that initial transaction as well. So it sounds like that Rivian's building a couple of different um, businesses around things that support the vehicles that they sell. So insurance and the software as a service type stuff. So, you know, not unlike what other companies out there are doing. I'm not going to say just Tesla because, you know, there's other companies doing similar things as well. But Tesla is definitely the biggest player in this space at this moment. Our next question, RJ, kind of relaxes and opens up a little bit and gives us a little bit more information on the production issues and what to look forward to in 2022 as far as Rivian. Okay, that's that's great, Carla. And then uh, my second question, um, you know, coming back to the um, the topic of ramping up production. Uh, so, RJ, I understand your your point around it's not being you know structural and obviously. Uh, to be expected, I guess, with this kind of, uh, you know, challenge and, and environment. Um, but based on what you've seen so far and sort of going through these issues, are you generally confident that, uh, uh you should, your ramp up should be on target to be able to deliver some of the 2022 targets? There were obviously some, uh, you know, reports earlier a few weeks back around some of the SUV, uh, delivery, uh, timeline things sort of like pushed out. And so overall, are you confident that, you know, you're, this is mostly the rearview mirror and going forward, uh, you're tracking in line with you know, some of your delivery targets. Yeah, we're, we, we're quite confident in, in the, the path ahead. I, I guess it's, it's worth just commenting a little bit on, on what the activities have been over the last three months. And, you know, I, I said it at the start of the call, uh, but it's important to, to reiterate, we're launching three vehicles this year. So uh, we had the first R1T drive off the line in September. Uh, we uh, just sold the first two and delivered the first two R1Ss this week, uh, actually to Claire and I as the first two customers. And we'll be making deliveries on uh, the EDV 700 uh, very soon here, uh, before the end of the year. And when you look at those three different launches, uh, there's also correspond with three different certifications. So all three of those vehicles have been certified for sale. Uh, and they're being produced on two different production lines. So there's a line that's producing the R1 products, and there's a line that's producing the commercial vehicle products. And is, is you know, we've discussed before, and this is such a critical element of what we're building. Uh, we've wanted to, we wanted to make sure the the company and the organization was architected to facilitate running and operating multiple programs at the same time. Uh, 
One of the challenges that we've, we've seen over the last two months has been bringing up R1S on the R1T line and recognizing that uh, because it's a shared line, we were, you know, we just, just started production of saleable units on R1T in September. And then, uh, you know, within a few weeks, we were putting R1Ss into the line as well. And that, that proved to be more challenging than we um, had anticipated, and before, but fortunately, we managed through it. Uh, and we were able to produce enough vehicles to certify and, and uh, the R1S and put that through the validation process. And it was a decision we took, and we took the decision to, to rapidly integrate the R1S into the line while we, was, while we were still ramping R1T, given uh, really our long-term focus uh, and, and what we see as being critical long-term for, the, for our brand and for our customers of having both those products in the market as quickly as possible. And so as we now look at uh, what the ramp will, will look like for both R1T and R1S into next year, having, having done those activities this past fall and having certified uh, both the R1T and the R1S, as well as, as the commercial van, the EDV, uh, it really positions us uh, to rapidly uh, grow through the, through the course of 2022. All right. So we don't get a, an Elon level of information here, at how Elon breaks this stuff down, but we do get some insight into the things that I've been harping on over and over again, which is, well, production's really hard and it doesn't sound like you guys are having any issues or any significant issues. Why aren't we hearing about, you know, problems that you're having? And now that RJ's maybe gone off message a little bit and he's starting to relax. Now we're getting the, those, we're getting that information. So um, I thought it was, a, a again, a very well done answer. Um, I would like to see, hear him be a little more forthright um, because, well, because I'm a geek and I, I think that production and manufacturing is is a very interesting topic. All right, folks, that is where we're going to end this today. I hope you all have a wonderful holiday and I will be back here next Friday to chat with you again about EV news and some other cool things that I have planned for you, or at least one other cool thing I've planned that it's not necessarily EV news, just something to look forward to in 2022. Uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at Bodie. Uh, all of a sudden, my mouth started to work, stopped working. I was doing okay all the way up until this point. You can email me at Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can also find me on Twitter at 918digital. My DMs are open. You can chat with me there. If you want to support the show, go to supportkilowatt.com or kilowatt.com, excuse me, patreon.com forward slash kilowatt and you can support the show there. Thank you again for listening, and I will talk to you next week.